Father, we praise you that you have shown us the path of life, that you sent your Son, not just to teach us about life, but to be life for us. So God, we pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit now as we look into your word, as we look into the life of Jesus. Would you please do your work to transform us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're in a sermon series here where we're going through Matthew chapters 8 through 9. We're looking at the life of Jesus. We see him in these chapters doing a lot of miracles, giving some teaching. And the idea here is that we want to be people who learn from him and follow him. Yes, our following him looks different than it looked for the people in Matthew 8 and 9 because we don't physically walk with Jesus. But spiritually speaking, we do walk with Jesus. And as we walk with him, we learn from him. And as we we learn from him, we can start to act like him. But as I've been trying to get the point across to you over the past few weeks, it's not just that we, in our human effort, try to become more like Jesus, as if he's just the example and our goal is just to try our hardest to be like him. No, there's something much more powerful going on here. As we follow Jesus, God transforms our hearts. So I want you to be encouraged by that. What we're doing here in this sermon series is we're looking at what Jesus did. We're trying to to see not just what he did, but why he did it, to learn from him. And as we consider Christ like that, God changes our hearts and makes us more like him. Now in today's passage, we're going to see an interesting story about how Jesus drove out a bunch of demons from two men And those demons were allowed to go into a herd of pigs. And you know the story. The the herd of pigs then rushed down a hill and into the lake and they died. In the Gospel of Mark, we're told that this herd had about 2,000 pigs in it. Now, perhaps you've had questions like I have. And I I went online and I found people have the same questions about, why did Jesus let all those pigs die? And and what about the owners of those pigs and, and the people who tended those pigs? Why did Jesus let that happen? Now, it's a little hard to calculate the value of those pigs. I tried to figure it out online this week, but a conservative estimate would be that 2,000 pigs would be worth over $100,000. So you think about not just the financial cost there, but also the livelihood of the, the people who tended those pigs. Why did Jesus let it happen? Well, the truth is, we're not told why Jesus let that happen. But what we are told is that Jesus used his authority to free two men who were so deeply troubled by these demons that when these demons were allowed to go into a group of pigs, they killed the pigs. So Jesus went out of his way to help these two men. You could say that there was a price on the head of these two men. And like I said, if the price was the herd of pigs, it was about $100,000 or more. Somebody had to set those men free. They were anything but free before Jesus came along. But in his compassion, Jesus used his authority to set those men free. Now, we're told in the Gospels of Mark and Luke that one of these men asked to become a follower of Jesus afterward. So we're looking at Matthew, and the same story is told in Mark and Luke. You'll notice some differences, though. In Mark and Luke, they only mention one man, and in Matthew, they mention He mentions two. Now, it's not to say that one of them is right or wrong. I think they're both right. It's it's probably just that Matthew is adding an extra detail here that, that Mark and Luke didn't add. But in Mark and Luke, one of those men asked to become a follower of Jesus after he was set free. Now, if you've been following our sermon series for the past few weeks, you've already heard me mention some key concepts that we're repeating. The concepts of compassion, 
authority in following Jesus. And we're going to stick with that today. We're going to use that same outline once again. Uh, and again, I, it's not uh, because I uh, am being lazy about my sermon outlines. I think it's just because that's what we see in these passages. We see compassion and authority from Jesus. And then we're going to have to consider the same question that the people considered in this passage today. Will we follow Jesus? So let's read our passage today. Matthew 8, verses 28 through 34. When he, that's Jesus, arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. So the first point today is compassion. We're looking at the compassion of Jesus here. And we're looking specifically at the compassion that he showed on these demon-possessed men. Now, let's take a moment here to define that term, demon-possessed, in verse 28. I'll use the theologian Craig Flomberg's words. He said, it involves the indwelling of unseen evil spirits in a way that prevents an individual from fully controlling his or her own actions. So these two men couldn't control themselves. They were under the power of our enemy, the devil. It was a terrible place for them to be. It says that they came out from the tombs. That's probably meant to highlight that, that these demons were comfortable in the abode of death. Wanting to lead these two men further into death. And it's ironic, it's, as we think about, uh, we'll, we'll do just a little bit of application here. We, we think about the path of death. So think about somebody today in 2017 who is going to reject Jesus' ways and, and follow a different path. Well, that path, we could call it the path of sin. That's just a polite way, though, of saying it's the path that Satan wants us to take. Now, why does a person choose that path? Be- because they think it will lead to life. But, but I want you to see from this passage that those who would be under the control of our enemy would be those who are not led on a path of life but on a path of death. So just a reminder for, for any of us, the next time that we're tempted to go in a way that God does not want us to go, please know that there is not life there. Our, our enemy does not lead us into life. He tricks us into thinking there will be life and satisfaction there, but there's not. So these two demon-possessed men were on a path of death they were so violent, according to Mark and Luke, that the, the people of their town sent them away and they would often bind them with chains. But the, these men were so strong that they'd break the chains. So the, the people of the town just said, you guys go live over there. And they ended up settling in the tombs. The people of this region wanted nothing to do with these two men. But look at Jesus. He went to them. In fact, this is fascinating to me. And, and this is something you wouldn't notice unless you studied scripture in chunks like this. But if you were to tra- uh, trace out the path of Jesus, remember what he said in, at the end of chapter 8? It was in verse 18. He commanded people to get in the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. 
Well, if you look at verse 9-1, it says Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. The only thing that we see that he did on the other side of this lake was to heal these two men. And think about it. Uh, remember the trouble that they had crossing the lake? There was that big storm that we talked about last week. So Jesus, in his compassion, led his followers through a storm to go to the other side of the lake to talk to these two men to help them out and then went back. It's the compassion of Jesus to help people. So if we're contrasting the compassion of Jesus with the lack of compassion of the townspeople, they kicked these two men out. Jesus went to them to help them. But there's another contrast we can make here in regard to compassion. It's the contrast between Jesus and Satan. So these two men, under the, the control of demons, lived a terrible life. In Mark 5, 5, it says they would cry out day and night. It says that they would cut themselves with stones. Again, that's not life. Also, we see destruction in the fact that when the demons knew that they were going to be driven out of these two men, they begged Jesus to send them into the herd of the pigs. And what happened then? When they were allowed to go into the pigs, those pigs plummeted to their death. So we see this contrast between the life that Jesus brings and, and the death that Satan wants to bring. And that reminds me of John 10.10, 10, where Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Think about that. Again, we're talking about the two paths here. In fact, that's my application here for this point. There are only two paths in life. There's one path that leads to death. And it's a path that we are all tempted to take at times. But there's another path led by the God who has compassion for us. He leads us into good things. And just look at the John 10.10 10 again. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. You ever felt that in your life? Like something's coming your way and it's just bad and it's meant to harm? That's the work of our enemy. But then look what Jesus says. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I remember uh, memorizing that in a different translation. It talks about abundant life that Jesus wants to bring us. So that's the contrast there between life and death. And knowing that there are only two paths for us, which one should we take? The one that Jesus leads us on, the abundant life one. So is there any temptation that you're falling into these days? Is there anything going on in your life where you know that it's not the path that God has for you, but you're going on it anyways because you've believed the lie of your enemy? You've believed that it will lead you to some sort of satisfaction. And I just want to urge you, if that's where you're at today, to call on the mercy and grace of God and he will be pleased to forgive. And we can walk on the path that God has for us. Um, one other quick point, though, I want to make about compassion before we move on. When Jesus crossed the lake, he was probably heading into a more Gentile region, and that's probably why there were pigs there. You see, in Israel, pigs were considered unclean according to the laws of the Old Testament. So he's probably in a Gentile region. And it was easy for Jews to look down on Gentiles, and maybe the disciples even said, why are we going over there? Well, why did Jesus go over there? Because it had always been God's plan that the nations would hear the gospel message. You can go back to Genesis 12, that famous passage where God called Abraham. And God intended to bless Abraham, but the blessings didn't stop there because they were to flow through God's people to the nations. And that's what we see happening here at the end of Matthew 8. It's a foreshadowing of the Great Commission in Matthew 28 where Jesus commanded his disciples to, to make disciples of what? 
all nations. So I, I think this is pretty neat here. We see the compassion of God to bring the gospel message to those who hadn't heard it yet, to those who were living in death. Okay, let's move on to our second point today. Authority. Now, did you notice the battle in this passage is pretty one-sided? In Matthew's telling of the story, before Jesus has even said one word, the demons say, what do you want with us, son of God? And then they say, have you come here to torture us excuse me, to torture us before the appointed time. And then in verse 31, before Jesus had said a word, again, the the demons recognized that they'd be driven out of these two men. Now, Matthew doesn't mention this detail, but in Mark and Luke, we learn that the name of these demons is legion because they are many. In Roman terms, a legion was a detachment of about 6,000 soldiers. So we're talking about an army of demons here But Jesus just steps onto the scene, doesn't even have to say a word, and the demons know it's curtains for them. I think that's pretty cool. And the fact that right away their minds go to their eternal punishment tells us something as well. And that's why they talk about being tortured before the appointed time. If you were to read Revelation 20, you can learn about that appointed time where we're told that God has made a place for Satan and his followers. And the demons know that that's their eternal lot and they don't want to go there yet, so they begged Jesus to be sent into the pigs and not into the eternal lake of fire. They immediately recognized the authority of Jesus, and they were terrified. I love how James puts this in James 2.19. He's talking to us. He says, You believe that there is one God? Good! Even the demons believe that and shudder. The demons are terrified of Jesus. They know that they don't have authority over him. So Jesus allowed this group of demons at that time to be cast into the pigs. In fact, did you notice in this story, Jesus only says one word. In verse 32, he said to them, go. I I find this pretty fascinating. Goes to all this trouble, crossing the lake, these demons are terrified. They're engaging Jesus in conversation. He says, go, and he's back on his way across the other side of the lake. God had complete authority in this story, and God still has complete authority in your life. Do you ever feel like things are spinning out of your control? We've all been there, right, where the, the things of this world feel like they're, they're a little bit too much for us to handle? Well, newsflash for you. We were never in control in the first place. God is the one who has complete authority. It it may not feel like it, but God is sovereign over all of the events of your life, over all of the events of the entire world. So we learn something very powerful from the way the demons responded to Jesus in this passage. We learn that God is in control. And the application here, trust that God is in control of the events in your life. Now, what happens if it's the opposite? If, if we think that we're in control of our lives, what happens? I, I was thinking about this. There, there are two things that I came up with. One thing is worry. You ever notice this? If, if I assume that everything in my life depends on me and my ability to do it well, what's going to happen? I'm going to start to think, oh boy, I don't know if I can do all of this. I'm going to start to worry. And in the Bible, we're commanded not to worry. And do you know why we, we can be commanded not to worry? Because we're not in control of it. God is in control. Okay, so that's one thing that happens. If we pretend that we're in control of our lives, there's worry. What's another thing that happens if we pretend that we're in control of our lives? 
We make bad choices. Anybody ever been there? We've all been there, right? We've all been at, these, at this point where we, maybe even we know what God wants us to do, but there's something else that we want to do, and because we might pretend that we're in control, we go on our own path. And again, it's a path that Satan is pleased for us to go on. We are not in charge. Jesus Christ is Lord. So let's live like it. And as we live with Jesus Christ as Lord, we can trust that he will perfectly take care of everything. Even if it doesn't look like it to us, we we don't need to worry about anything because we trust that God is in control. He sees it. He loves us. He's powerful enough to do what he wants to do. He cares about us. So what is it in your life that you're concerned about right now? Is there anything that's going on in your life that feels maybe like it's out of control? Is there any part of your life where you feel like you've taken control when you shouldn't have? Is there any sin that you've allowed to stay in your life that's a clear pointing to you right now showing you that you have taken the wrong path? I just want to urge you, recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you've sinned, repent. God will forgive. If you're worrying, bring it to God in prayer and tell him that you're glad that he's in control. And then watch him bring peace to your heart. Okay, uh, before we move on to our third point today, I want to take a side trip. I've, we've kind of been doing this throughout this series. As we read Matthew 8 through 9, there might be some questions that pop up in your mind. So I, I've kind of been trying to think what are some of those questions. And one of those questions is our side trip for today. Does demon possession still happen today? Um, anybody ever wondered that? Um, if you're a pastor, occasionally you get phone calls from somebody who would say, I think my fill-in-the-blank, my relative, my friend, might be possessed by a demon. Will you come and help? Well, what would you do? What would, theologically, what would you believe? Does demon possession still happen today? Well, let me say a few things before I, I answer that question. First, let's remember what we've already looked at today. Jesus has complete authority. Um, there's a, a really great verse. I love this one. 1 John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So the one who's in the world, that's a description of Satan. The scripture talks about him as having power in this world. But the one who is in you, that's God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit living in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So right there, we need not worry. Second thing I want to say is that I I do believe in the power of our enemy in this world. Like I mentioned from that verse, there's other verses that talk about Satan's power in this world to to steal and kill and destroy, to lead us astray, to deceive us. Satan has power. And then third, I think it's wise to heed the advice that has often been said. I I think it might be C.S. Lewis who said this, but I couldn't find it. Um, The advice is, don't overemphasize or underemphasize the work of Satan in this world. To overemphasize his work would be to only think about Satan and his demons. Uh, I met somebody who, who thought basically there was a demon under every rock. And, and if that's what you're thinking, that, that Satan and demons are just everywhere and all you think about is them, what are you forgetting? You're forgetting something really important, that God is more powerful. On the other hand, there's a lot of people who go through life and don't give any thought to our enemy who attacks us. And that's a danger as well. So both to to underemphasize or to overemphasize the work of Satan in this world can be very dangerous. 
So we need to have that, that healthy point in the middle where we, we rightly understand that he's at work in this world, but that God is stronger. And then I've, I want to get now to answering the question that I've asked. So does demon possession still happen today? Well, I do think it is possible for people to be possessed or oppressed by demons today. Now, I chose those two words carefully. Let me explain them. Possessed and oppressed. Let's start with possessed. To be possessed by a demon would be like the two men in our story today that were under the influence of the, of the demons such that they couldn't control their own actions. To be oppressed by a demon, on the other hand, would be to be tormented by a demon. You wouldn't lose control of your actions or your thoughts. You would just be tormented. Now, here's the important distinction. If we rightly understand what the word Christian means, I do not believe that a Christian can be possessed by a demon, but I do believe that a Christian can be oppressed by a demon. Now, let me explain that. So a Christian is a person who knows Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and who keeps walking him with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. So if Jesus has taken up his place as King and Lord of our lives, lives inside of us through the power of the Holy Spirit, who we are constantly walking with, then there's no room for, for a demon to possess. Jesus talked about how uh, the, the strong man binds uh, the power of Satan. So for us, the, the strong man is, is the, the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, so that when we are walking with Jesus, he's our Lord, there's no room for Satan to, to possess. Does that make sense? Jesus said a house divided against itself cannot stand. So if he's the master of our house, then we're good there. Now, if somebody doesn't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, I hope when they hear a story like this, they would run as quickly as they could to Jesus and say, I want you to be my Savior and Lord. And that's what you can do, by the way. You can call out to God. Receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and, and he will protect you both now and eternally. Um, so that's what I believe about demon possession, but then let me just say a note about oppression from demons. I, I believe that that can happen even to Christians, and the, let me just show you two quick passages on that. One of them is Ephesians 6. Uh, many of you probably are very familiar with that passage. It's called the Armor of God passage, and I would encourage you to read that passage actually today. It reminds us of the, the devil's scheme we're told to take our stand against the devil's schemes. What does that mean? It means that the devil schemes against us. It talks in that passage about flaming arrows that come from the evil one, and those arrows can oppress us. But what are we told as well in that passage? We can have the shield of faith to extinguish the arrows, the, the flaming arrows of the evil one. So we're told what to do in Ephesians 6 when spiritual attack comes. And by the way, I think spiritual attack is a is a pretty regular thing in our lives. I don't think it's just that one or two times in your life where it was really difficult. I think spiritual attack, maybe it's even an everyday sort of a thing. So that we're told to put on the full armor of God. Um, I think, it is, Mark, is it you that says you've got that poster there and you put on the full armor of God every day? That's a great way to start your day, to put on the, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the belt of truth, feet fitted with the gospel of, the, of peace. All those things, because we live in a world where our enemy can attack us. And then another passage is in 2 Corinthians 12. The Apostle Paul talked there about a messenger from Satan that tormented him. Three times Paul asked God to take it away, but God didn't take it away. And what Paul learned was that God's grace would be sufficient for him in the midst of that torment. 
So, we live in a place now where our enemy hates us, wants to steal and kill and destroy, and God allows him to do some things to, to possibly even torment us, but we can stand by faith, trusting that God is stronger. So, application, we should put on the full armor of God every day, walking by faith, meeting with God in, his prayer, in, in prayer, meeting with God in his word, which is called the sword of the spirit in Ephesians 6. And as we live like that, trusting in Jesus at all times, God will protect us from whatever he allows to come our way, even attacks from the enemy. Then our third point today, will we follow Jesus? In Matthew 8.33, after the two demon-possessed men were set free and the pigs rushed to their deaths, those tending the pigs went into the town and told the people there. Now, can you picture them? They're running into town, and here's the way I like to picture it. I've got good news and I've got bad news for you. Now, which one do you guys like to hear? Who, who's the good news first person? Raise your hand if you like to hear the good news. Okay. Who wants to hear the bad news first? I usually kind of like to hear the bad news first and get it out of the way. But we're going to start with the good news today. So the, this guy comes into town and he says, I've got good news for you. Remember those two guys that we kicked out of town because they were so crazy and violent? Guess what? They're cured. It's, it's, it's really pretty astonishing. They are in their right minds as we speak. You can go talk to them right now. And the people are like, whoa, that's really amazing. But you said there's some bad news? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so the guy who drove the demons out of those two guys, well, he allowed the demons to go into our herd of pigs, and all of the pigs rushed down into the lake, and they died. So the, the townspeople now, they've got a choice. What do they do? Well, here's how they responded in verse 34. The whole town went out to meet Jesus. That's a good thing, right? And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Not a good choice. It's tragic. They saw the compassion and the authority of Jesus on these two men that, that they didn't have compassion for in the first place. They, they saw Jesus' power, but all they could think about is what Jesus would cost them. They thought about the economic loss that they had sustained from their pigs. They, they saw what Jesus could do, but they asked him to leave because... They were afraid. That's what it says in, I think it was in Luke's gospel that he says that. They responded with selfishness. The theologian Grant Osborne said, they prefer swine to the Savior. Another theologian said, all down the ages, the world has been refusing Jesus because it prefers the pigs. Now think about that. We all have choices to make in life. We all want the best life for ourselves that we can have, right, in, in a sense. How do we get that life? Do we get it by grasping for what we want? Do we get it by sending Jesus away? No. That's what these people did. They pleaded for him to leave. They probably thought, we'll just, we'll just pick up the pieces from here and get on with our lives once that troublemaker leaves us. They saw who Jesus was and they should have followed. Now, on the other side, again, in Mark and Luke, we learn that one of these men who was set free from the demons asked if he could follow Jesus. Now, interestingly, Jesus told him no at that point. He, he actually sent that man who was cured, who was rescued from the demons, he sent him back to his home to tell the people there about the grace and the power of God. So it's interesting that that man was supposed to follow Jesus by not literally following Jesus. Now, for us, it's actually pretty similar. We are people who have been set free from sin and death. 
And just like that man was sent to the people of his town to tell people about how Jesus has set him free from sin and death, that's what we're supposed to do. This guy, one theologian, called him the first Gentile missionary. I think that's pretty cool. Well, we can be missionaries as well, right in our hometown, as we talk to people about what Jesus has done to us. Because you see, every one of us was under a death penalty. These two demon-possessed men, they were living in a tomb as a symbolization of of death. We had a price on our heads as well. That price was way more than $100,000. If all it was was $100,000, there would be some people who would be able to pay that and get their way into heaven, but it's not. The price on our heads was an eternal death penalty that we had earned because of our sin. Every one of us had sinned. And because we've all sinned, every one of us faced eternal separation from God. Unless God stepped in. And that's exactly what God did when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Because on the cross, he took our sin penalty upon himself. He paid that price. He died so that we could be forgiven. But remember the rest of the story. On the third day, he rose again, showing his permanent power over sin and death and Satan. So that we now know that anyone who receives Jesus as Savior and Lord can have eternal life. Our death penalty is taken away. We are cleansed and washed clean. Like these two demon-possessed men, they, they, they went from death to life. We too in Christ have gone from death to life. So where does that leave us? It leaves us in a similar position as the people in our story today. Will we follow Jesus? We've heard of the power of Jesus over the powers of this world. It might cost us something. Like It, would, it costs these people something. They weren't willing to live with that cost. What's it going to cost you if you follow Jesus? Do you know the answer to that question? It's going to cost you your life. Now, I don't mean that you're going to die physically today if you give your life to Jesus. But spiritually speaking, we are to die to ourselves. If if we've been on that path that leads to death, we can either stay on it and live for death, or we can die to ourselves, we can die to sin, we can receive Jesus and keep following him. So for some of you, maybe there's a commitment you need to make today. For some of you, maybe... You've never given your life to Jesus. You can talk to him right now and pray to receive him as your Savior, the one who takes away your sins, and as your Lord and Master. But for others, maybe the, maybe the commitment that you need to make today is, is a recommitment. Maybe you're noticing that there's some part of your life that is not lining up with the path that God would have for you. As you think about your life and you think about the two paths, maybe you see yourself kind of straying towards that wrong path again. And you know what? There's grace and mercy there. I appreciated Psalm 6 about how uh, we can call out to God and, and beg for Him not to be angry with us. Because we've seen in the cross that He's not. That, that if, if we come to Him with humility asking him to cleanse us of our sins, his response towards us is not anger. His response is compassion. So if there's anything in your life that does not line up with the path that God would have you on right now, go to God, ask him to cleanse you. 
And again, maybe there's a recommitment that some of you need to make today to continue to follow Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Or maybe things have been going really well for you in your walk with God, and I just want to urge you to keep going. Keep following Him. May we never rest on yesterday's faith. It's not enough for us to look back and say, wow, I've done pretty good. I've been walking with God for 50 years or whatever it is. Let's walk with Him today. Let's put on the full armor of God today. The attacks of the evil one are going to continue to come. Let's be ready. Let's stand firm in our faith. Let's walk with Jesus. May we be people who keep going where God leads us. May we follow Jesus regardless of the cost. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you for what you have done to, to ransom us, to pay the cost. Jesus, we thank you that you died on the cross for our sins. And we just come before you again. We praise you. And if there's anyone in here who hasn't yet received Jesus as Savior and Lord, we just pray that they would do it right now and give their heart to you. God, for those of us that have given our hearts to you, whether that's just now or whether we've been walking with you for a while, we pray that we would keep walking with you. God, would you please show us if there's any area of our lives that doesn't line up with the path that you want us to be on and help us to repent of our sin, help us to turn around, help us to follow you. God, would you help us every day to put on that that armor that you give to us that we might walk by faith in truth As those who have been declared righteous, may we live according to what is right. May we rejoice in the salvation we have and may we be ready to share that salvation with others, sharing the message of Jesus Christ with them. God, help us to be people who meet with you in your word and in prayer. And as we do those things, God, would you please protect us from the attacks of our enemy. And we thank you as we see in this story for the the tremendous compassion you have for people who are possessed or oppressed by our enemy. Thank you, God, for what that means for us. Help us to have compassion on those around us as well. God, would you please strengthen us to keep following Jesus all our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.